we've had a um, Easter journey, and normally during the Easter journey from Easter to Pentecost, we hear from the, uh, the book of Acts along with the gospel readings, and we hear various accounts of, of the miracles that take place, signs and wonders in Acts. But this season, we took a different track that was available to us in our what's called the lectionary, and that is we've been hearing from Peter's first letter. He wrote two short letters that are in the New Testament. This is, the, as far as we know, the Peter of apostolic fame uh, who denied the Lord three times and then was restored. And uh, these are two precious uh, short letters that he wrote to the church. And so this Sunday, since we, ha- we really haven't had a chance to do this, I'd like to simply focus on a portion of Peter's letter that we heard this week. Uh, we'll hear some more, I believe, next week as well. And I want to start with um, um, simply the very first part of the letter. We did not hear read, but just to get the title of this right, uh, from the first chapter, the first verse, Peter writes, To God's elect. To God's elect. He then itemizes who these uh, he's speaking of, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So this is a, a global letter, if you will, to a whole bunch of the uh, the Christian uh, um, communities all across a large swath of Asia and Europe. I think you can see then that this can be very logically and properly extended, as we say in that introduction each week, and to all Christians everywhere. This is a general letter, if you will, uh, to God's elect. In other words, imagine Peter, the apostle, the, the Lord's right hand, if you will, and he's speaking in a sense, directly to you this morning, to God's elect. He says, you are the ones who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. In other words, God has known from time's beginning that you would be responsive to his call upon your hearts. He already knew who you were. And uh, here we have a wonderful uh, Trinitarian formula embedded in 1 Peter. The, uh, the idea of the Trinity, the God in three persons, the three-in-one God, uh, is not explicitly biblical. It, was, it came to form out of the first century and second century and third century of the church, this understanding of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But there are lively hints and guesses of the Trinitarian formula in the New Testament, and here is one of those places. He says, um, who have been chosen, the elect, uh, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, there's the third person, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. So we get the the whole package there of what we call the Godhead. Uh, One uh, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, um, to the elect of St. Paul's Somerville, to the churches of Somerville, we could certainly include, that there is a sanctifying work of the Spirit being done in your lives, which means that the Holy Spirit is an essential quality for you to live and to prosper as the elect. And sanctifying simply means growing in Christ-likeness, that wherever you are, that you are leaving the darkness and the shadows behind and more and more living in the light of Christ, but acknowledging it's a lifelong work of shedding the past, shedding our bad habits, shedding our disobedient ways, 
and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is for obedience to Jesus. That uh, the elect have been called to honor the Lord Jesus as Lord. And as he direct us, we are to follow. It's a privileged calling. It's a difficult calling. And we can really be aware of that at times how difficult the calling is. A high calling, but a difficult calling. Um, it simply is. For obedience to Jesus and sprinkling by his blood. So here we have the centrality of the cross as well. That uh, those who have been elected have been sprinkled by the shed blood of the Lamb, as we say, the one who was nailed to the cross for us and our salvation. You are very, a very privileged people to be part of the elect. And most of us who sit in here from Sunday to Sunday have made that turn and accepted Jesus. Sometimes we have folks here who are in the process of making that turn, or they're here and have never been in that turning but they're here to listen and hear because God has been wooing them and drawing them towards the faith to become another member of the elect. So that's the backdrop to this letter, and that's the introduction to God's elect, um, chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father, um, through the sanctifying work by the Spirit, we will be more and more equipped for obedience to Jesus who... Uh, who has sprinkled us with his own blood to cleanse us and give us access to the Father. So that, that uh, moves on through the first chapter. And we heard from the second chapter this morning. And let's look at that as well. Like newborn babies. So think about that. Um, uh, here, here's the, the, the right beginning. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk in other words this sanctifying work of the spirit is accomplished by being nourished and fed on something that peter calls pure spiritual milk it's being nourished on god's word and god's love and god's teaching and god's example through jesus christ and so to um it's acknowledging that we are in the process of being changed. And Peter goes on to say, So that by it, the pure spiritual milk, you may grow up in your salvation. I love that image, that idea to grow up in our salvation. In other words, we are saved. Thanks be to God. If we are to die tonight, we are given the assurance of life eternal in Christ. But if we don't die tonight, if we are alive tomorrow and this week and next week and next year, we have a task to grow up in our salvation, to grow up into more and more Christ-likeness, to be changed, to be willing to be changed, to be restored. And he says, the reason we are motivated for that is because you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's another lovely image. You have tasted, you've drunk that pure spiritual milk and tasted that the Lord is good. The Lord Jesus, representing our Father in heaven, shows us and teaches us that the Lord is good. He loves you. 
He is compassionate towards you. He is patient with you. All He wants is to rescue you and to give you a better life. And we have had some taste that the Lord is good. And so there is a motivation and a yearning that wells up from inside to also grow up in our salvation. To become better, if you will, in Christ-likeness. So Peter continues and gives us another wonderful image. You know, Jesus used a lot of agricultural images. You know, he will talk about the, the, the wheat of the fields or a farmer who went out to sow and so on and so forth. Uh, Peter, a little bit more like Paul, Paul gives a lot of city images because Paul was a city boy. And uh, Peter here uh, is offering a kind of uh, city image as well. As you come to him, the living stone. Now, I appreciate that um, our biblical translators, when they take the Greek uh, and translate it into English, just to give emphasis to that, they capitalize the word stone. Uh, in the, the Greek, uh, you wouldn't see it that way. You'd see probably all capital letters, in fact, of the whole New Testament uh, written in the, the capital of Greek. But here we, um, just to help us along to uh, distinguish that uh, this, there is a particular living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. So we have this wonderful image of a living stone. We've heard about Jesus as living water, uh, something that is dynamic and, and refreshing and cool. Now, how is Paul, Peter going to use this idea of a living stone? But he also builds on that image. And so he's talking about something, uh, a symbol here. You also, you also, you the elect also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So we have a construction project underway, and uh, it can't be done as a solitary individual. We are made for relationships and community as the elect. The idea is not for us all to become separate little Christianettes making our way through the world. The idea is that we are a spiritual house, that we are a community, that we are one body, and uh, Peter builds on this idea and says, we are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And we're going to get back to this idea, this image of priesthood. But keep in mind, because sometimes we tend to think, we say where well, our ministers are John and Tyler and Mike, and we ought not to say that because the ministers of Christ are, these are our ministers. We have some ordained ministers. And we're even as well tempted to say, well, we have three priests at St. Paul's. John and Tyler and Mike, and uh, yes, at one level that is true, and we have a position by ordination to serve in a certain way, but um, Peter is being very directive here that uh, the, the priesthood is all-inclusive of the elect, and we'll see later what that priesthood role is, but we are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering sacrifice. Now, what it says here is spiritual sacrifice. So, again, don't be a literalist. Don't, uh, it, it's something different from offering, bringing a sacrifice to put on the altar and um, you know, sh shed the blood of a lamb or a goat or whatever. No, offering spiritual sacrifices. And um, the idea of spiritual sacrifices is whatever you do in the name of the Lord Jesus when it's done in love is a spiritual sacrifice. We just did Impact Saturday yesterday to Impact Somerville. And those offerings of ministry out into the Somerville community were a spiritual sacrifice. 
You may have done something for your family this weekend in love and by love and with love as a son or daughter or as a mother or father or a husband and wife and you were making and offering a spiritual sacrifice. These are sacrifices that are acceptable to God, pleasing to God. So here we have uh, the living stone and then uh, Peter does what we all ought to do sometimes. And that is, he's saying, this isn't just my opinion. I can back this up and validate what I'm teaching you, what I'm writing to you from Scripture. Now, Peter's source of Scripture would have been the Old Testament. Our source of Scripture is the Old and New Testament. But what Peter does here is he goes to the prophet Isaiah and say, here, here's, what, here's, where I'm, here's one of the places where I'm stepping off from. Uh, for the script, in Scripture... In the book of the prophet Isaiah, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion. The prophet Isaiah prophesying of one who is to come, I lay a stone in Zion, which is equivalent to uh, Jerusalem. Zion is equal to Jerusalem and Jerusalem to Zion. And Jerusalem is the center of the spiritual universe, the spiritual world. And uh, the prophet says, See, I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame, or sometimes it's translated, will never be disappointed. The one who trusts in this particular stone. It's a cornerstone. So this living stone for this spiritual house, which is also being built up with other living stones, but there's the living stone with a capital S, and that living stone is the cornerstone. And um, if I, I won't be able to find that, so I won't try it. So uh, the cornerstone, that essential marker of any building that allows you to have a true access to the, to the um, down this way, a true access down that way, and a true access this way, X, Y, and Z. And if that cornerstone is not true, the whole building will not be true, will not be in alignment, Right. It's a great image that Peter is giving us here and saying this is a cornerstone chosen and precious by God being laid at the spiritual center of the universe in Zion slash Jerusalem. And the one who trusts in him will become part of that spiritual house being built up will never be disappointed. Now to you who believe this stone is precious. And it is, isn't it? To you, the elect who believe, anyone here who believes, this cornerstone is precious. Because this cornerstone has the name Jesus on it. And it's true for every axis of our life, our career, our family relationships, however you want to sort of build that, that, that spiritual house and build our own lives into this, it's, a, it's completely square and trim. Now, to you who believe this stone is precious. And then there's the other side of this, which I don't have time to focus on, but to those who do not believe, there are consequences as well. But, um, but back to you, the elect, in verse 9. But you are a chosen people. Yes, discipleship life. Christian faith, your Christian walk is difficult and hard sometimes. This is not a simple task. It is a highly honorable task, 
but it is a very difficult task. But consider this. Peter saying, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. He, he's so elevating you. Uh, he's putting you on a pedestal, which is kind of scary because you say, well, I'm just going to fall off the pedestal if I get put on it. But, um, but uh, he's not talking about just you as an individual because this is a spiritual house. This is a community. And this is a royal priesthood. And the royal priesthood does this. This is what every priesthood does. The priesthood represents God to man. And also the priesthood represents God, uh, man, humankind, before God. The priesthood carries the prayers and supplications of God's people to the Godhead, to the Lord. And the priest serving in this mediator role is also the one who speaks on behalf of God to God's people. That's you by how you live and how you love and how you speak and how you do. You are a royal priesthood representing God before other human beings, non-believers, infidels, atheists, pagans, and other Christians of this community or fallen away Christians. But our task is a high calling to represent God before the world and at the same time to come before the Lord on behalf of others. You are a holy nation. This is a very special nation, this peopled nation. This is a nation whose, um, uh, whose, um, the nations whose capital is really in heaven and we live here as resident aliens, but we are part of a holy nation, representative of all faithful people, God's people everywhere, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are to give testimony, in other words, by how we live and by what we say, because we have a story to tell. We who are the elect, we say, I was in darkness. I was in a place of faithlessness. I was in a place of addiction. I was in a place of bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. That was the darkness, and God brought me from those places into the, into the light. And the reason we are to be testifiers is to be an encouragement to others and also to draw others towards this same well of life. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. What a great story. What a happy story. What a joyous story. And it's your story and mine to God's elect. Let me finish on these last two verses. We did not hear read today, but if we were to read how this continues, it goes like this. Dear friends, this is Peter writing to you. Dear friends, I urge you. As aliens and strangers in the world, do you feel out of step and out of rhythm with the world's ways and the world's values sometimes? You will if you have become part of this other spiritual house. Um, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So that's simply saying the battle is never done. There's always some darkness that's still clinging to us that we need to be set free from and delivered from. That's that work of being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 
But the good news is, as you all know, oh Lord, I ain't what I ought to be. Oh Lord, I ain't what I want to be. Oh Lord, I ain't what I'm going to be. But thanks, Lord, I ain't what I used to be. I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul, which undermine your life. And so Peter then says, live such good lives among the pagans. The pagans is not meant to be so much pejorative or you know, not make us self-righteous or judgmental, but it's just there are those who do not believe. And he says, live such good lives among the people of the world. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, sometimes you will be accused of doing wrong when you are trying to do or say the right thing. He says, so that they may see your good deeds, see your goodness and your love and your compassion transcend the temptation to strike back or fight back, that they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's an opportunity again for conversion of another spirit, another soul. So um, that's Peter's message to God's elect. And I simply want to say to you today that, um, first of all, he's speaking about us and that what he's speaking us to do is a very high calling. It's not easy. It gets really tough sometimes. And Peter understands that, too. This is a letter of encouragement when we're feeling down or oppressed or depressed. And he's simply reminding us, but consider what you are and who you are, a royal priesthood a holy nation, God's elect. Wow. Amen.